Welcome to the podcast from Redeemer Christian Church in Amarillo, Texas. For more information, please visit our website at RedeemerChristianChurch.com. Uh, here at Redeemer Christian Church, we usually stand for the reading of God's Word, but uh, today the, the reading is over four minutes long, and rightly so. So we're going to have go ahead and have you sit down. Uh, so we're going to be in John chapter 19 today. We're going to be looking at the first 30 verses. It's John chapter 19. I'm going to give you a second to turn there. Starting in verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold, the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it has been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down at the judgment seat at the place called the Stone Pavement in Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold, your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him. And with him two others on either side. And Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests and the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, but rather, this man said, I am King of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, They took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, 
woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which said, they divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple who he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciples took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing all that was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar of wine stood there, so they put a sponge, of full, uh, put a sponge full on the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is God's word. Amen. Well, uh, good evening, Redeemer. Hello, my name is Aaron Reyes. I'm one of the many deacons that serves here on staff at Redeemer. Uh, welcome to Redeemer Christian Church, and welcome to Good Friday. So, every evening uh, for the past six or so years, my wife and I have been praying over our children before they go to bed, as many parents do. And my kids are now six years old and four years old, and we wanted to teach them how to pray by specifically using the words of Jesus himself. So we've been teaching them the Lord's Prayer, and they have it memorized by now. And every night we pray, our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our sins, as we forgive those sins of others. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And every time we get to that point of the prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, I have to pause. I have to pause. Those words, it's such a powerful prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's such a powerful prayer. And those words, they hold so much of what I desire as a Christian. So much of what it means to be a Christian is to be one who is delivered from evil. The Lord's Prayer acknowledges that there is evil in the world and that we must be delivered from it. And the temptation to succumb to the fear of evil is a daily fight for me personally, if I can be honest, um, as a husband and as a parent. You know, St. Thomas Aquinas uh, has been credited with once having taught that there are three sources of temptation, or three enemies of the soul for us as people. And those sources of temptation come in the form of the sins of the world, the sins of the flesh, and the sins of the devil. Those are the three sources of temptation, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And... Every night when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray, we pray uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, my heart pauses. And I think about the evil of the world. I think about the evil that is war, the evil that is racism, the evil that is mass shootings. The, you just turn on the TV, right? There's evil everywhere. It's hard to, to not be afraid of it. Or I think about the evil of uh, the flesh, whether that's personal sins, addiction, pride, and idolatry, or also think about the evil that the devil brings on, whether that's spiritual attack um, or spiritual forces coming against me or those that I love. Or I think about powers and principalities uh, that have possessed whole institutions of people and whole groups of people. And I pray, Lord, deliver us from evil. Deliver my family from evil. Deliver 
my community, and my, uh, deliver this world from sin because without you, we simply have no hope. We have no hope. I know that there are many people in this room, whenever we talk about evil, you know what we're talking about. You've seen evil in your life. You've looked at it with your eyes. You've experienced it in your experience, in your life. Well, Good Friday teaches us what to do with that fear. Good Friday teaches us God's ultimate plan to deliver us from evil. So today's a day where we come together to relive the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, both in our hearts and in our minds. And I love the church calendar, I really do, because if you were to observe it as our church does, you would get to walk through the story of the gospel throughout your entire year. It's a good way of actually being placed in God's story. So every year we get to, as a church, set our calendars and schedule the expectations of our heart around the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And one of the more remarkable things about practicing Christianity this way is how you can trace Jesus' life throughout your year, right? And I love that idea specifically for days like today. Because for days like today, Good Friday, I essentially, because of the church calendar, I get to hold in my hands both the meaning of Good Friday, which is today, but also something like Christmas Day, right, which we celebrated a few months ago. And I get to hold these things in my hand, I get to say, like, how do these things, what do they mean in the life of Jesus, but also, what do they mean in the life of the church? And I get to see how these dots connect. So on Christmas Day, if you don't remember, we had church that day, Christmas fell on a Sunday this last year, our church looked at John chapter 1 where John famously states, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glories of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. It's an amazing passage of scripture. It's mainly one that's typically only read during Christmas time. And, you know, one of the things that I love about the gospel of John is that John is going to trace out this idea of the word being made flesh, dwelling among us, and showing us his glory, he's going to trace this idea like a thread throughout his entire gospel. So for example, in John chapter 6, we have the story of Jesus walking on water. It's a very famous story. You probably heard of it, right? So Jesus is hanging out with his crew, and the disciples, they're hanging out, and then a big crowd comes, and Jesus is like, peace, I'm out of here, and he goes up to the mountain to retreat, right? But then the disciples get on a boat, and they go ahead and sail on to Capernaum. And I guess they were just going to meet up with Jesus later. But then a giant storm comes out of nowhere, right? And everyone's kind of really scared, scared for their life. And there's lots of wind and rain and it's dark. And, uh, you know, I would imagine I myself would be um, hurling. You know, I I would be terrified. But then out of the thick darkness, out of the thick rain and chaos and evil comes this figure appearing to be hovering over the water. And it gets closer and closer and it happens to be Jesus. And he's walking on water, like he's literally hovering over the evil underneath his feet. He is lording over the evil. None of it is surrounding him. And what is John showing us in this image? He's showing us how the word became flesh and walked on water. How the word became flesh and defied the laws of nature, yes, but how the word became flesh and proved himself to be greater than the forces of evil that surrounded him. And we have seen his glory, glories of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. Another example is when Jesus heals a blind man in John chapter 9. Remember, it's the Sabbath day, and, you know, the, the, the religious people are really upset with Jesus because he's doing stuff on the Sabbath. And then out of nowhere, this guy was like, hey, Jesus, I'm blind. And Jesus goes up to him, and he spits on the ground, uh, which is no one was expecting that, and then he makes mud out of this concoction that he makes, and then he rubs this mud on the guy's eyes, and what happens? The guy's healed, right? He's healed of his blindness. So what is John showing us? He's showing us how the word became flesh 
and give sight to the blind, or how the word became flesh and proved himself to be greater than the forces of sickness and disease. And we have seen his glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Another one, John chapter 11, we have the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, one of my favorite stories in Scripture. And, you know, Jesus actually says before he does this in John chapter 11, he says, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. You see what he's doing there. John is highlighting how the Word became flesh and raises dead people to life again. Or how the Word became flesh and shows himself to be greater than the forces of death. And we have seen his glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Time after time after time in the Gospel of John, John is obsessed with showing us the divine glory of Christ. And here we come to Good Friday, John chapter 19. And John says, So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold, the man, look, the man, look with your eyeballs, gaze at the man, survey the man. Do you not get this? See the man. You see what he's doing? He's highlighting again how the word became flesh and bore our griefs and carried our sorrows and was crowned with a crown of thorns and how the word became flesh and stood trial and the word became flesh and took the punishment of our sin on his body, how the word became flesh and drank the full cup of the wrath of God on our behalf, and the word became flesh and was crowned with a crown of thorns, and the word became flesh and was crucified and cried out, it is finished. And we have seen his glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You know, I can only imagine what being at the foot of the cross must have felt like to be there, right? Um, We were told that uh, Jesus' critics were there, but also the disciples were there as well. Um, a, lot, a lot of the women were there, and, and they were watching all of this happen. Um, and those who had Jesus arrested and, and tortured and crucified, what they thought they were doing is they thought they were putting out a threat. And Jesus absolutely was a threat to them. Or what they were trying to do is they were trying to wipe away any memory of Jesus from anyone's minds. Right? They were trying to erase him from the history book, so to speak. And the way to do that in the ancient world was through crucifixion. It was through crucifixion because crucifixion was terrible. It was the most shameful way to die, right? If you were getting crucified, that was like, oh, man, that, that, it really was the worst thing. No one was going to remember your name if you were crucified. And, you know, um, you don't crucify somebody who just simply disagrees with you, right? You don't crucify somebody who just gets on your nerves. No, you crucify somebody who threatens your power. You crucify somebody who threatens to turn your whole world upside down. They wanted to make an example out of Jesus. They could have assassinated him. Just get, get, him out, get him out of here. They didn't do that. They publicly humiliated him on a cross. So what those who had him crucified, they thought they were putting out a revolution. They thought if we take out the top dog, then there is no more revolution, right? So it must have felt really, really good to hear Jesus finally hanging on the cross, and he says the his very last words before he, he dies is, it is finished. That must have felt pretty good to hear, honestly, right, if your goal was to take him out. But if, if you were one of the disciples, to hear the words, it is finished, must have honestly at first felt pretty hard to hear. 
Uh, like, it's done. We had a nice run, everybody. Like, way to go. Like, another one bites the dust. Like, imagine spending years and years and years of your life following this guy around. You're watching him do incredible things. He's healing the blind. He is, you know, feeding 5,000 plus people at a time. He's walking on water. He is being transfigured. He's doing all this incredible stuff. He's preaching. You can hear his sermons. And he's saying things like, the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is here. Right? And you're thinking in your mind, if you're one of his disciples, like, yeah, let's go, man. Let's go, to, let's go to Jerusalem. Let's turn the tables. Let's crown you king. And then let's go to Jerusalem. Or let's go to Rome and just take over. What's stopping us? We, we have the king. Let's go. And then to see that guy, the same guy who was the word made flesh, who claimed to be God, to see him die at the hands of the state by way of crucifixion. And to hear him say the words, it's done. That must have been devastating to hear. But, as we know on this side of the cross, what if that's not what the phrase, it is finished, means? Right? What if the words, it is finished, weren't the last gasps of another failed would-be Messiah? What if the words, it is finished, were the first words of freedom that were declared over God's people? And for us today, what if those words, it is finished, were the first words of freedom declared over you and your life today? What if God had finally unveiled his plan to deliver us from evil through the death of Jesus Christ? Because we, we know that Jesus didn't say, I am finished. It's like, I'm done for. He didn't say that. He said, it is finished. The work of God did not stop at the cross. The work of God started at the cross. The spark of God's kingdom was lit at the cross. And at the cross of Christ, time and history had changed forever the implications of the cross are enormous. You know, we, we would be here for like 48 more hours if we were to, 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 do, to do all of it, to tell you all the things that happened at the cross, but I'll just give you a few. We won't be here that long, I promise that. At the cross, the new covenant is inaugurated. It is where our sins are paid for. It is where the, the sins of the world and the flesh and the devil are defeated. The cross, it represents our substitutionary atonement. The cross, it cries freedom to the captives. The broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ, it bleeds forgiveness. And at the cross, the link between our sin and our death, I don't know if you remember, for those of you who are with us on, on Ash Wednesday, what was the whole point of that, that night? It was to remind you that the end result of sin is death. But at the cross, the link between our sin and our death is broken because Jesus Christ died in our place. And finally, at the cross, the Messiah crushes the head of the serpent once and for all. And the word became flesh and accomplished everything sufficient to satisfy the wrath of God. And the word became flesh and earned our justification so that when we stand before God, we're not gonna give our list of the things that we've done. Here's everything that I've done to be in your presence, Lord. No, we're gonna say, look at Jesus. Look at all that he accomplished. Uh, I'm claiming that. <laughs> But that, that's what Jesus earned for us. And we have seen his glory, glories of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. So what are we to do with this truth? What are we to do with a Good Friday service? How are we supposed to respond after a night like this? Well, to answer that question, I want to turn to John chapter 12 before we end real quick. And I want to read you John chapter 12, verses 27 through 34. This is... Probably on the Wednesday of Holy Week, Jesus is saying this. He says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, 
save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven came. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there heard it and said, It hath thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake and not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So, Redeemer, what is our response? What is our response to seeing the Son of God lifted up on a cross to die our death? Well, it is to bring yourself to the cross. It is to bring your fear to the cross, to bring your burdens, to bring your anger, your doubts. It is to bring your failures, your brokenness, and your insecurities, to bring your trauma, to bring your broken marriage, to bring your perceived failures as a parent, to bring your fear or your embarrassing past or your fear for the future. Bring yourself to the cross and place yourself at the nail-pierced feet of Jesus and to behold him. It is to lift our eyes because at the cross, the power and principalities of this world were defeated, which is terrific news, is it not? The powers and principalities of this world were defeated. Therefore, we don't have to fear. We don't have to carry our shame or be enslaved to our sin. We do not have to be ruled by the temptation to fear the world, the flesh, and the devil. Because when Jesus died on the cross, Redeemer, so did you. If you are found in him, you died as well. That's not all the story. You'll have to come back on Sunday to hear the rest of it. But whenever Jesus died on the cross, you have to see yourself dying with him. What is our response? It is to lift our eyes and behold his glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Behold him, Redeemer, and follow him. Let's pray. <clears throat> o God of unchangeable power and eternal light, look favorably on your whole church, that wonderful and sacred mystery. By the effectual working of your providence, carry out in tranquility the plan of salvation. Let the whole world see and know that things which were cast down are being raised up, and things which have grown old are being made new, and that the things that are being brought to their perfection by him through whom all things were made, your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Redeemer Christian Church. Our mission is to declare the gospel with our words and display the gospel with our lives to our neighbors and to the nations. And your financial support makes resources like this possible. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider supporting us and our mission at RedeemerChristianChurch.com backslash give. And thank you for listening.